This podcast contains material of an adult nature. It's not safe for work or appropriate for children under the age of 18. If you're offended by mature content, please stop listening now. The stories included in this podcast are not checked for factual content and are for entertainment purposes only. It's secondhand story time. Hello, and welcome to episode number 52 of Secondhand Storytime, the show where we tell stories we heard from someone else. I'm your host, Will Kistler, and I'm happy to say that we've made a full year of podcasts. To me, it feels like a pretty momentous occasion, so I'm going to celebrate by collecting a bunch of short stories that weren't long enough to make their own episodes. You may remember we've done this once before, but this time we have even more material to make a giant show. I'm going to introduce each storyteller as they come on, but I'm happy to say that listener and new contributor Hannah is going to kick things off with a trio of tales from a gynecology practice from the 50s. Please enjoy. Alright, and so I'm here with Hannah. Uh, Hannah uh, got in touch with me with some stories, so thanks for thanks for writing in. Sure, Will. Great, and I guess you have a short one to kick things off here. I have three short ones uh, told to me by my mother who was a student nurse in the 1950s in western Massachusetts, and okay. she told me three doozies. Great. Well, I can't wait to hear them. Sure. The first one is, um, well, she was, as I say, she was a student nurse, and as a student nurse, of course, you hear stories from the older nurses who are training you, and uh, these three are of a, a gynecological nature, and the first one is about a couple who could not disengage. They were experiencing intercourse and they couldn't pull apart. Now, I don't know anatomically how this can possibly happen. Um, it, the only thing I can think of, and my mom wasn't there, this was secondhand for her, um, the only thing I can think of is maybe there was some attachment put on the guy. You know, this was the era when there were fins on cars and such. I don't know <laughs> what they did. <laughs> I, I don't know what they did. But anyway, she was so, and I said, Mom, how did they get to the hospital? Who drove? And she said they must have been taken in an ambulance. So anyway, I don't know how much I believe that one, but that was a story she was told. Um, the second one, now understand, this is the era when nurses wore crisp, starched white uniforms with the cap, and uh, you stood when a doctor entered the room, and people were very, very, very prim in the 50s. Modern medicine has come a long way, um, I guess, both in style and in technology. And there was a lot of naivete amongst uh, amongst uh, young people. They didn't know a lot about anatomy. And, um, you know, the, there's two different kinds of champagne glasses. There's the kind of flute kind, the very long kind. Right. And then there's the kind with the very wide mouth. Well, evidently, um, a woman was expecting, and her husband wanted to see the baby. So they inserted one of these wide mouth champagne glasses into her <laughs> vagina so that oh, he could no. get a look at the baby. Yeah, and to the baby. And the suction made it impossible for it to be removed. And not only did he not get a look at the baby, but they had to somehow get her into the hospital and get that thing removed. So, right. And I mean, I'm no, I'm no expert on anatomy, but I'm pretty sure. You can't just see straight through. No, I don't think he understood what a concept of a cervix was, but yeah, yeah, limited knowledge of anatomy. 
But that's a that's a pretty dangerous one, actually. Well, I'm just thinking they're very thin, those glasses. Yeah. And the chances of it breaking are pretty high. I mean, ouch. Exactly. Like, yeah. there's a lot of things that I wouldn't put into my or someone else's body, but glass is high on that list. Thin glass, yeah. So that was the second one. Now, this one was, my mom saw it firsthand, and um, this young couple... Uh, they were having their wedding night, and uh, the woman was very, very disturbed um, when the marriage was consummated. And so they rushed to the emergency room. She had a very gawky, gangly husband, very tall, um, big ears, you know, hadn't quite grown into his body yet. And um, the woman was complaining that as they were consummating the marriage, she became flushed, her heart <laughs> began to, to race. She had radiating heat rolling throughout her pelvis, causing uncontrollable screaming. She was sweating. Her heart was palpitating. She had fast labored breathing. And the whole thing was followed by a great sense of weakness all over her body. And the student nurses were just incredulous. that They looked at this guy like, he did that? My God. So I know. So one of the residents... Um, had to take her aside and explain to her what an orgasm was. Um, yeah, I don't think she was expecting that. Well, I mean, I guess that's a happy ending. I'm glad the guy was getting the job done. And evidently, he really was. So it was a very happy ending. <laughs> well, great. Thanks for sharing those. Those are all fantastic. All right, here's Bonnie with another quick story. Um, my Uncle Bobby was an electrician in the Army. And he would like go down to different army bases and do whatever it is electricians do. And one time he was assigned Area 51, and um, he did what he did there and got R and R. Went to Las Vegas, was sitting at the bar. He says this very attractive blonde woman comes up, has a drink with him, and starts asking about his brothers, knows them all by name, knows his sisters by name, where they live, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and then sort of makes uh, some implication or some threats that uh, <laughs> if he ever says what he saw at 51, that, uh, you know, his family may not be so safe. Wow. And so I guess that's all he told you. That's all he, well, he actually, no, he never told, this is a third hand story. He told that story to my dad and my dad told it to me. So, okay. so I don't know if I like, I'm third hand threat now to army security or not. <laughs> well, I hope not. We'll have people showing up at our door. Doesn't yeah, seem exactly. like <laughs> Knock, knock, knock. <laughs> black SUV will pull up outside. Yes. <laughs> Doesn't seem like any state secrets have been revealed. I don't think so. But uh, thank you for sharing that. All right, so I'm back with Kramer. Kramer, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Kramer told one of our earliest stories about some uh, kids that got into trouble on Halloween. And uh, so I'm glad to have you back. And you have another secondhand story for us today, correct? Yeah, that's right. This story is about uh, it's from my grandfather. Uh, he was... Uh, this is I guess it takes, it takes place during World War II. <clears throat> so he was an auxiliary engineer on the destroyer, the USS Purdy, during World War II. And his duties as an auxiliary engineer were to we would work a four-hour shift in the engine room, which was like terribly hot. And so they would get time off um, from that. They would they would alternate on four-hour shifts. And when he wasn't in the engine room, he would go around uh, maintaining various equipment on the ship, such as uh, ice cream makers, refrigerators, and all sorts of other various equipment. Um, now, apparently, the alcohol is pretty much prohibited uh, on Navy ships. Okay. And, but for one reason or another, uh, during World War II, 
they they brought beer onto the ship, but they were only allowed to to drink it when they're in port. So in order to enforce that rule, they locked it up in the refrigerator. But seeing that my grandfather had to go in and check the the fridge temperatures every so often, they gave him the key. Okay. So lo and behold, after after some time would pass, he you know start start drinking some of the beer, you know, filling it up with water so it wasn't too <laughs> or whatever. So there wouldn't and, be bottles missing. They would just not have right. beer in them. Exactly. And slowly but surely, more and more people would let more and more people know. And then by by the end of it, there was they're pretty much having small parties in the uh, in the refrigerator. <laughs> uh, so that was I guess going on for a little while. And then sometime around April twelfth, nineteen forty five, uh, the Purdy was attacked by by the Japanese, and a kamikaze actually struck the ship. Uh, I think fifteen people were killed and twenty five were wounded. But luckily, my grandfather was wasn't hurt at all by the attack, and but so the, the ship was pretty terribly damaged. So it went, I went to some South Pacific island to get repairs. Okay. Uh, I think it was Guam. Uh, so and the original estimated time for it for the uh, the repairs to be completed were a month. But um, with the captain's consent, my grandfather offered the repairmen a little bit of a bribe. So every mm-hmm. week that they they took off of the repair schedule, he would give them two cases of beer. And uh, the the repairs ended up being finished in one week, taking three weeks off of the original estimated time. And so he would have given them like six cases of beer for that. Yeah, exactly. And so the USS Purdy would return to sea, and, it, and the the war shortly finished thereafter. Sh- finished shortly thereafter. Right. It was about that time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and that's that was my grandfather's World War II story. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm glad that he made it through that uh, without any trouble. Right, yeah. He he loves talking about it to this day. Well, thank you for sharing that. It was my pleasure. All right, I'm back with Brad for another short secondhand story time. So, hello, Brad. Hello, Will. And you got another you? one, correct? I do, I do. Uh, this is about um, a friend of a friend of a friend who was um, trying to do some odd jobs over the summer, um, during the summer break. And uh, he was doing some uh, construction work. Um, they were renovating a house of this uh, older gentleman. And um, on this particular day, um, it was just uh, he and this uh, other buddy, and they were outside working, and they were getting ready to take their lunch break. And the older man came out and said, uh, hey, would you guys like to come inside for your lunch break? Um, the guy said, oh, great, you know, because it's, 100 degrees outside. They've been sweating for the last couple of hours. Right. You know, they like to be get out of the uh, get out of the environment. So they go inside and they sit down on the couch. And the guy said, "Hey, you know, crash here. Do you guys want some beers? You know, uh, all this stuff. Trying to be a really good host. Right. And uh, the friend of the friend of the friend said, "Yeah, that'd be great." Um, so they go and sit down. And then all of a sudden, the uh, older gentleman comes up to him and says, "Would you guys want to watch a?" A porno? <laughs> the friend, the friend, the friend, and his friend was like, um, okay. They they agreed to it because they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to turn out this guy who'd been so nice to him so far. Right, and I imagine there's still work to do and stuff as well. This isn't the last they're going to see of him. Right, so they didn't want to, they didn't want to tick him off, and uh, so they said sure, and um, so the the older man goes and puts his video on, and it's really amateurish you know it's it's you know someone 
you know, just has a, set, a camera set up and um, in comes in the woman and she's uh, sitting on this couch and then there's this man that comes in and he's wearing a mask and it takes a second, but the friend of the friend of the friend realizes that, holy crap, the guy in the mask is the older gentleman. Wow. So he's showing them his porno, not just a porno. His porno. Then once he's, uh, the friend of the friend realized this, he realizes that the couch that the porno is being shot on, that the <laughs> man and the guy having sex, the girl he's having sex with, is the couch they are sitting on at that very moment. Oh, that's gross. So they, uh, he quickly excuses himself um, to go to the restroom or something like that, and he calls the uh, construction uh, uh, manager and says, I quit, and he left. <laughs> well, I could see where that might uh, that might be a little too weird for just a, a construction job. <laughs> I'm not expecting anything of that, that strangeness to go on. That's a great story. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. All right, so I'm back with Logan, and Logan, you have a short story for me, correct? Yep. Uh, excellent. Well, and this is secondhand? It is. Uh, good. Well, whenever you're ready, go ahead. All right. Well, this one is uh, it's kind of the short version of a long and embellished one that a friend of mine likes to trot out oftentimes at the bar. So it's, uh, it's about when he was 15 years old and living in New York City, and he's probably in his, well, he's probably around 30 right now. I don't know his exact age, but... Okay. This was a while ago, and he lived in Manhattan, and every uh, every Christmas, him and his parents, he's an only child, so him and his parents would drive out to Staten Island for this big Christmas party with all their friends. Right. And uh, the one thing, I don't know why this is always part of the story, but he loves to say he almost won the party uh, pool tournament that year. And so, you know, I figured out. Throw that one in there. Okay, well, so anyway, give him his kind of setting up the scene. You know, there's the pool tournament and probably some caroling and, you know, general revelry and lots of drinking. Right. That's the way it goes. And I imagine this is at a fairly nice place. Right. I, I get that feeling. Right. And so anyway, uh, this particular year, his dad, I guess, had maybe one, one across the border. And... Uh, wasn't feeling so well on the way home. And so his his mom was driving. Right. And they were driving back over the, the Veritano and Narrows Bridge that runs between Staten Island and uh, Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And so he's sitting in the back, and his dad is, like, hanging his head out the car <laughs> and puking. Oh, uh, gross. On the way over the bridge. Right. Yeah, it was pretty graphic, but, you know, he describes it with, you know, kind of passing the bridge lights, and he sees this stream of, you know, coming from his dad <laughs> in the front seat and, Apparently, this was all really entertaining to him at the time. Uh, I'm sure. It sounds it. And so, later on, they get home, and they kind of usher his dad inside and, you know, get him upstairs and into bed and everything. And so, this friend of mine, he was still up for some reason, and he sees his dad coming through. He's kind of walking through in a haze, and he realizes his dad's missing, missing all of his front teeth. Oh, no. And... Yeah, I mean, this is this kind of freaks out my friend. Dad, what, where are your teeth? And his dad is like mumbling something about a bridge. And you know, my <laughs> bridge, I lost something. And this is the exact moment when my friend realizes his dad has fake teeth. 
And when he was saying bridge, <laughs> he was not talking about the Veritano bridge, but his bridge. <laughs> That's excellent. So he, I guess, puked out his teeth. Yep. And uh, his son learned something new about his father. Wow, that, right. that's an excellent story. Thank you. Celebrity Edition. All right, and I'm on the line with uh, Liz, who's been on before. So Liz, say hello. Hi. And uh, you have a short story for me, correct? Yeah, I have. Well, it's more like a collection of stories from one evening. Okay, great. Whenever you're ready, go ahead and jump in. Okay, Um. so uh, this friend I have, a very dear and close friend of mine who has he has issues with with smelling, but he's a very nice guy. He went to uh, QT Fest, which is Quentin Tarantino, the Quentin Tarantino festival that they had here in Austin. Okay. And so he he went and whatever, and, and they go in, and they sit down, and they're seated next to like some famous guy. Like if you're a geek, you love this stuff. Uh, of course, Tarantino, Rodriguez, Linklater, Roth. Uh, Rose McGowan, Dennis Quaid, supermodels, whatever. Um, anyway, they were sitting there, and they had heard that the RZA was there, you know, because the RZA is Quentin Tarantino's friend or whatever. He's worked on a lot of the scores and music for Tarantino's movies, and also he's a badass, and why wouldn't he be there? Right, and I guess this is a sort of a, from the way I heard it, this is sort of an all-night event? Yeah, yeah, you sit around all night and watch movies with Quentin Tarantino, it's quite possibly the coolest thing you could possibly do. Okay, and so it attracts a lot of uh, famous people, as well as just the normal Austinites. Yes, lots of famous people and lots of cool people. Um, Austin people are known for being very awesome and cool, and so if you go to one of these things, you have to represent, you have to be cool. Right. So my friend decides to do the exact opposite and starts <laughs> rapping Wu-Tang Clan Ain't Nothing to Fuck With. Let, let, let me just tell you something about my friend. Every time any kind of rap song comes on the radio, he knows all the words. Okay. He will just rap. And it's awesome. Like, I love rap. I love hip-hop. It's an awesome thing. But the man is a beast. He knows all <laughs> the words to all the songs ever. So very well-versed. Yeah, and he, he loves the Wu-Tang Clan. I mean, who doesn't? There ain't nothing to fuck with. So... He starts to rap this song. Anyway, he's rapping, 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 and then the dude in front of him turns around and gives him this, like, stink eye. He's just like, ugh, you know, like in Five Goes West, the stink eye? <laughs> yeah. And lo and behold, it is Mr. The Rizza. Uh, so the Rizza is right in front of him. Right in front of him with bitches either side, you know, <laughs> plastic. And, um... And the and my friend he's just he's like looking at him deer in the headlight and uh and the Riz is just like whatever and turns around and of course <laughs> my friend is mortified for the rest of his life. And the Rizza was not impressed. The Rizza was not impressed by his rapping, no. And the bitches oh, well. were standard bitches, apparently. They're probably not impressed by anything. They've seen it all. <laughs> <laughs> and they're there with the Rizza. What like they've probably been to the moon on unicorns. The man is awesome. This uh, no argument here. Yeah. Um. Okay. So another thing that my friend did at the exact same event, and uh, and it was another example of how not to be awesome. <laughs> he's sitting there, and Eli Roth walks in. And Eli Roth is is he's pretty famous. He did Hostel, is a terrible movie, but everyone knows who he is. Yeah, he's a famous horror director and recently actor. 
Yeah, well... I guess not even that recently, but he's acted in a few things and directed a few things that were very popular. Yeah, they were popular. Him actor? Just person who said stuff on screen? Would we say that? I think... I don't know. I personally (laughs) don't enjoy Eli Roth as an actor or a director, but he can be really cute if he keeps his mouth shut. Anyway, the man walks in the room. My friend is very surprised, and he's like, Hey, Eli! <laughs> and Eli turned oh Eli Roth, excuse me, I don't know him. Apparently my friend did. And um Eli Roth turns around, looks at him and like um kind of like giving him the once over and like waves and he sits down. And throughout the whole the rest of the evening, Eli Roth kept like looking back at, at my friend and being like, Do I know you on the phone? Like giving him that face, you know, when you see someone at the yeah. airport, like, who is that? I know that person. But I guess Eli Roth did not, in fact, know him. He just no. blurted it out. No, my friend is just a neo-maxi Zoom dweeby. So, <laughs> so twice in a night, he embarrassed himself. And that means he, he pretty much embarrassed himself, not just in front... He, he embarrassed himself in front of the RZA and Eli Roth, but Quentin Tarantino was right there. So Quentin Tarantino and Rick, you know Linklater, who's like... One of the biggest directors. So, so he, Linklater is such a big deal here in Austin. I'm sure none of them will remember him later. Hopefully. Until the next time. Thrizz is so cool. He is. Well, thanks for sharing those stories. Alright, I'm here with my roommate Dan, uh, who has another quick story for us. Hey, everybody. Yeah, uh, this story I got from uh, a guy I work with. Well, thanks for thinking of the uh, the show. Oh, no problem. I'm always looking out for good stories. So, like I said, this was from a guy I work with. He sits behind me at work. And uh, so one night, he was going out to a club um, with a friend of his, a, girl, uh, a female friend. The girl uh, that he went out with was dating a, another girl. And so the club that they went to was actually a, a lesbian bar. And I, I believe it was the first time he'd ever been to a lesbian bar. So it was kind of a... a New experience for him, but he's kind of open to all kinds of things, so it's not like he was scared or anything. So, right. Anyways, it's, it's a full on club, and they're back in like the VIP section or whatever, hanging out and talking and stuff. And he was talking to uh, his friend's girlfriend, who I think he had met for the first time. So he's just trying to get to know her and you know ask her questions and stuff. So they're kind of talking, but it was hard because you know there's a lot of music going on, it's loud, there's a lot of people. Right. And so she had started saying something, and he was like, "What? You know, I can't, I can't hear you." And she said it again, and. Uh, you know, this went back and forth about five times where he just couldn't hear, couldn't hear. It was too dark, too, not too dark, too loud. And so, uh, about the fifth or sixth time, he in a, uh, uh, well, kind of mi- mimicking a, a deaf person was like, I can't hear what word you are saying. Uh, and kind of a voice kind of like that. Right. And of course, right as he does that, the music kind of drops. So she hears him <laughs> perfectly. And just looks at him with this look, and he's like, "What?" She goes, "Are you are you imitating a deaf person?" And he's like, "No, no, what, what?" And and my my parents are deaf. He's like, "No, no, they're no, they're so not." So she deaf. says her parents are deaf. She says her parents are deaf. He's like, "No way, they're deaf." Yes, they're deaf. And he's like, "Oh, I don't believe you at all." And then she busts out some sign language, probably saying, <laughs> you know, like, you know, "f you" or something in sign language. And of course, you know, he's like tries to keep his jaw from dropping completely. And the only thing he can say to get himself out of this is, oh, no, no, no. I was I was imitating a retarded person. 
So I'm trying to get and trying trying to get out of mimicking one person that could be bad is is going with right. the retarded. So, so maybe not more appropriate, yeah. Generally, but for the situation, yeah, it was kind of like um, a, a nice, you know. I don't know. It kind of works. He probably still lost most of his standing with that girl. Actually, from what it sounds like, he actually wound up uh, later down the line possibly hooking up with her, which is kind of an interesting story in its own. I don't know the rest of that one, but that would be an interesting addition to the secondhand story. Well, thanks for sharing that one. Oh, yeah, no problem. Anytime. Yeah. So I'm here again today. I'm here with Mike. And Mike, please say hello. Hello. So um, you were actually recommended by a mutual friend, so I'm glad you could be on the show. Um, this is great. I'm, I'm totally stoked. And you have a secondhand story, right? Something you heard from someone else? Yes, completely. Actually, it just happened this morning. Oh, um, great. So I'm glad it's fresh in your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was coming into work, and um, this guy that's working on our uh, redoing our bathrooms was telling me the story. He was back in Ireland. He's, he's from Ireland. And his uh, <clears throat> friend he was in his car with was driving by, and he said, Ah, I see that church. And he goes, Yeah. And he's like, Did you hear what happened about that church? And he said, No. And he's like, Oh, this is the best. So it's almost like a secondhand of a secondhand story. Yeah. As so long as it's uh, not firsthand. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Okay. So he says, he, 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 he ex- explains, he says, Uh, a couple years back, two years back, there was a, a guy and a girl getting married at the church, and okay. um, they were uh, packing this church. And this the the mother of the fa- of the bride paid for all these relatives to come fly to Ireland for this Irish wedding, and um, so everybody was coming from all over the place: states, Australia, New Zealand, um, uh, a couple places around Europe. They they come to the wedding. Everything's you know goes through the wedding. And they go to say their vows, and the groom stands up before he says, like, before they were, you know, saying, you know, I do. And he said, listen, he goes, just before I do all this, he's like, I I really want to just tell everybody, you know, this isn't going to happen. This is just (laughs) not going to happen. And, you know, I'm going to go to Spain, and I'm going to move there, and, yeah, we're not going to get married. And then he took his ring that he was going to put on her hand, and he gave it to his best man and said... And most of this is just because you deserve her since you've been fucking her for the last year. Oh, wow. And he puts the ring in his groomsman's hand and leaves the church, takes a cab, boom, goes back to Spain. He had it all set up. He knew she was cheating on him for the last year. Right. And all he wanted to do was screw her and screw the family as hard as possible. So he let the mom So he let the mom her. pay through the nose, through the wedding for everything. Get every, all every of aspect the of the wedding. Yes, every family collected. Yes, yes. And, wow. and all the money for the wedding, getting everybody there, the you know, all the expenses. And then he, he stiffed them. That's brutal. Yeah. So that's that's the the extent of the of the, of the craziness to the story, but it, you know the fact that he got her back. That I think that was a sweet revenge kind of thing, and they even posted it in the news in the local news there. Okay, I, I could see where they might. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh uh, no, that is uh, that's taking the sweet revenge very <laughs> far. Very far. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> but no, that's excellent. Thanks for telling no that problem. story. Listener feedback time now. Travis Taylor writes in about last week's episode, This really didn't gross me out, because I've heard a variation of this story back in 2005. I was eating while I was told this story. Well, Travis, I'm glad that experience could soften the blow this time around. Pirate follows up by saying the first part of the story is an urban legend. She provides a link to Snopes, which you can find on the site. 
We also got a comment from Julie, who it seems has not heard this story before. She says, I bet she's thanking her lucky stars that she refrained from vaginal intercourse with that guy. Can you imagine what would be spilling out? It would make Rosemary's baby look like a Boy Scout. Well, Julie, it sounds like that one really captured your imagination. And that does it for this week's story. In order of appearance, I'd like to thank Hannah, Bonnie, Kramer, Brad, Logan, Liz, Dan, and Mike for sharing all of those great stories. If you'd like to comment about any of those, head on over to secondhandstorytime.com. While you're there, you can subscribe either through RSS or through iTunes, and find links to our Musician Gummery and the license, which is the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 3.0 Unported License. To become a fan on Facebook, head to facebook.com slash secondhandstorytime. And to follow the show on Twitter, head to twitter.com slash secondhandstory. If you'd like to help me celebrate the one year the show's been in existence, you can do me a favor. Find an episode you like, and tell a friend who you think might also like that episode. It would be great if we could get more people listening. If you want to help out one more way, you can follow the Podcast Alley link on our site and vote for the show. To get in touch with me directly, write to Will at secondhandstorytime.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope to have another full year of interesting stories. We'll have another episode next Thursday.